stand together. My, my name is Brad, and I'm the pastor here at Woodlawn. Uh, Woodlawn Church is a church that over the last year or so has seen a lot of growth, a lot of new faces, a lot of exciting things. And what you're at tonight is the first of something. This is the first time that we've gathered on Friday evenings to worship and to celebrate what Jesus does when we seek him for our own forgiveness and brokenness and struggle and pain. Uh, our mission here at Woodlawn Church is that we want to revere Jesus. That's just another other word for worship or serve. We want to revere Jesus by responding to grace. That means that me and you as individuals, we have to think of our own lives through the lens of grace. I have to think, I'm not here to earn something. I'm here to receive something. I'm not here to earn something. And I, ha I don't look at my life like I've earned things. I look at my life like, man, what a comeback story that comes from the grace of Jesus. That's, that's him, okay? That's the first part of our mission. We see it all through the lens of grace. The second thing we're doing is we're reviving believers. I don't know if you know this or not, but all over America, people are finding it difficult to understand their own faith. People are falling away from the church. People are stepping away from God because of the fact that the world we live in is very, very challenging right now to get and understand faith. We find it as part of our mission to help people find their faith again and to help people find that joy of the Lord and the connection to the teachings that they know are true. When we see that happen, then there's automatically a secondary thing that happens and that's that we begin to reach our neighbors. And that leads all the way to renewing communities. The vision ultimately is this. Hear me carefully. I am much more concerned, and we as a church are much more concerned, about seeing the men and women who live in the houses around your house come to Jesus than we are about seeing this room full of people. This is about renewing communities. We do that one house at a time. So folks, me and you, when I live in grace... When I find myself renewed in my faith, when I share the gospel with my neighbor, guess what happens? Now there's another living, breathing, Christ-following family in my neighborhood. And that's one more step to our neighborhoods being renewed. Some of us in this room live in very nice neighborhoods with lots of spiritual death in the lives of the people in those beautiful homes. Some of us live in neighborhoods where you don't have to look hard to see the spiritual death, right? It's all around us. We want to see Jesus renew neighborhoods by renewing neighbors, by renewing believers, and it all starts with us being people of grace. All right? Would you pray with me? And then this praise team who has never led worship together before, they have practiced and prepared and got ready for tonight. One of them drove all the way up from Jackson, Tennessee to lead us in worship. We're going to celebrate the Lord as we worship him. And then we're going to hear some awesome stories of God's grace. Jesus, we trust you. We love you. And we thank you. Do as you wish in us today. Amen. Blessed be your name In the land that is plentiful Where your streams of abundance flow Blessed be your name Blessed be your name when I'm found in that desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. 
of a traumatic brain injury, stress, and anxiety. I was raised in a typical family during the 60s and 70s, and I grew up being taught, you don't talk about your emotions or anything outside of church, or, I mean, outside of the house or inside the house, you know, not, not anywhere. My parents encountered multiple miscarriages before I was born, and also a baby boy who only lived seven hours. So I'm an only child, and I was pretty sheltered and protected. Childhood seizures started at 18 months, and that caused even more protection. The meds that I took when I was from until I was nine years old, because of the seizures, caused a lot of my memory loss from my childhood, and even after that. After leaving home, I was finally free. I thought. When I was 17, I got into a marriage that was physically, emotionally, and, and sexually abusive. There were times in that marriage that I really feared for my life. Then I had several really bad relationships that were pretty scary and not so healthy. One literally became an ax murderer a couple of years later. Actually, yeah, he went to prison and he died in prison a couple of years ago. All of that to say, that being so sheltered when I was growing up had me terribly unprepared for what I was going to face in the real world, and I couldn't make good decisions as an adult. In 1982, I met my son's <clears throat> dad, who I was married to for 28 years. In 1991, I gave my life to Christ, became very active in my church and also in different women's ministries. In 2011, I felt drawn to a Christ-based recovery program. And in January 2013, when working the steps a second time, I experienced the death of the 28-year marriage. Then in February, my pup passed away, ironically due to having seizures. On Sunday evening, March 17, 2013, I was at my pastor's house with his wife. As we were walking down to the basement, I fell down the stairs, and I landed on my head on a carpet-covered concrete floor. I cracked my skull open, and, caused a, and it caused a bleed in my brain, leading to me needing surgery to relieve the pressure on my brain. I spent a week in ICU, a week in a regular hospital room, and two weeks in, physical, in a facility for physical therapy. Then I was released to go home. During the time in the hospital, my family were told, I might not make it through surgery. I might never walk again. I may not ever be able to live by myself or drive again. 
I might be permanently blind or in a fetal position and would probably require constant care for the rest of my life. I remember very little about being in the hospital or even the other facility. My parents moved from Florida to Kentucky to take care of me. Imagine being 55 years old and forced to live with your parents again and having to relearn how to walk, read everything all over again, many, so many things. How could God have allowed this to happen when I was so faithful? I had checked off all the boxes that everybody told me I should. I had volunteered in different women's ministries and I had been very driven in my jobs. I could not work and I could not be involved in ministry since I couldn't drive and I couldn't do a lot of other things. I was very angry at God. He allowed this to happen and why in the world did he leave me here? I begged him to just let me die, but he would not. That made me even more angry. I wanted nothing to do with God or anyone that followed him. My pastor would come over once a week or so to visit, and the first question out of his mouth was always, have you read your Bible today? No. Okay, then when are you going to? I do not know. I was not, I, I probably wasn't that nice either. Yes, I was in a pity party, of a, a bit of a pity party anyway. Anger is a typical response for people with brain injuries. Maybe not anger towards God, but anger in general. People kept telling me how God had been involved before the accident. I wasn't ready to accept that for a couple of years, but here are the facts of the accident to show you that he was there. When I fell, I was about 15 minutes from the ambulance base, but there was, a, there was an ambulance only about two miles away. Pastor Tim was at the church preparing for a meeting when his wife called him to come home, he brought two close friends who were there with him who were both experienced RNs. The three of them got there before the ambulance did. And according to ER personnel, the on-call neurosurgeon got there in record time. So he had everybody in position before I fell. After only about seven months, I was not only capable, comfortable walking, but I was comfortable driving. The next month, I was back in the recovery program. 14 months after my injury, I was literally doing everything that my family had been told I probably would not do. I spent many years since that day in 2013 afraid to trust God, fearful of, for him, of Him at times, wondering why would he just let me die, wouldn't He just let me die when I asked Him multiple times, wondering what He was going to allow next and I was pretty distant. I worked through the steps two or three times in another program, and I still felt the way I did. God flat told me in 2015 that recovery would be my primary focus in ministry. I still remained distant and very cautious. In 2016, he helped me work through the sexual abuse from when I was 22, but I was still pretty cautious. In 2016, he also introduced me to Jason just before we attended a recovery conference with three other members from our, of our program. I had to fight to go to that conference because Satan was all over me trying to keep me away. Jason and I were both coming away from bad relationships and we were not interested in new relationships. Neither of us were interested in anything that looked romantic or whatever you want to call it. 
my comment to him one day was, I am not interested in anything that a man has to offer. <clears throat> but in spite of our feelings at that time, we became very good friends and we spent a lot of time together. But because of differences of ideas and opinions, we did not speak for about four years. During those four years, I did get more involved in church. I volunteered for a struggling recovery program and was in counseling for some past abuse. I also attended some more of the recovery conferences because I finally felt confident to, try to travel by myself. Then in the last three or four years, I have really begun to work on trusting God and not being so afraid of Him. He brought me through so many horrible relationships, through the alcoholism, through the abuse, childhood seizures, and many things I just did to myself. So why did I, why do I feel like, why did I feel that way? Then I found Recovery Alive. I was not as leery of the program as I was some others because I knew quite a bit about the founder. I followed it online for quite a while before I got very involved. In my first process group, it made so much sense to me and it helped me through so many things that I had not been able to work through before. Then in 2021, God brought Jason back into my life and Pastor Brad married us a few months later. Why would I not trust God? Why was I afraid of him? I do not have the answers to those questions, but I am sure some of it is connected to the lies that I believed about me. I still sometimes am a bit scared of what God's going to allow next, but I've had to accept many new normals in my life when things come up with a brain injury, such as total loss of hearing in one ear, or it taking me so much longer to process information than it used to. Physically, I do not look like anything ever happened, but I still have some issues that flare up from time to time. A sudden loud noise will send my, my brain just spinning, or a sudden change in routine without any preparation at all is hard. There are times when I know Jason just thinks I'm crazy. I get upset at the, some of the simplest things, and it doesn't make any sense to me or him either one. I just have to step away from the situation for a few minutes and rein myself back in. But I survived all the things that I've mentioned above, including the brain injury, only because God was always there right, right beside me. Jason has had to learn much about brain injuries in the short time that, he has been, that we have been married. He always tells me that during our time from not speaking, God was preparing him for this marriage. As a fairly newly married couple, We've had our ups and downs, but God has helped me through many of the old barriers from the previous relationships. As I look back on my life, I see God right beside me. He was always there even when I was distant and I was angry because he's not the one that moved. I did. Going back to 2016 conference for King and Country were there. They performed their song Priceless if you have never heard the song, it is an excellent song when you are feeling unloved by God. I pray that everyone here tonight knows how priceless they are to God and that he will always be at your side. Thank you for letting me share. Good evening. My name is Teresa and I'm a grateful believer in Christ. I started with the process group that Lynn is actually the leader of 
my reason for coming to the process group was to see what I could do to help. But in the process of going through the process group questions and chapters, I learned that I'm the one that needed the help. I struggle with grief, with loss, isolation, and through the steps that we have been talking about and going through, I've learned that it's normal, some of the things that I feel and that I've gone through, but it's also normal to let go of all of, all of these things that keep me, well, at bay, I guess. And I have strengthened my relationship with Christ through this process group. I have gotten to know these ladies so well that um, even in the dark days, I know that they're, if they're not there physically, they will be in prayer with me and for me and over me. And that carries me through every day. Um, I'm still learning what I can do to help, but I think that it's beneficial uh, through RA for these process groups for you to learn more about yourself. It's deep. It takes commitment. It takes a clear view of yourself. But when you're committed to doing that, you're going to grow, you're going to change, and hopefully you're going to impact the lives of others. Thank you for letting me share. Um, my name is Georgie, and I too am in the, the process group that Lynn is leading. Um, I too, like Teresa, went into this thinking that I was just going to learn how to help other people. And through all this process, because I'm older than, in fact, all of them are young enough to be our children. <laughs> but uh, through my life, God has led me through a lot of things. Um, my life was not good, it was bad. I, went, I took some really rough roads. But through the process group, I have learned that one particular incident happened in my life as a very, very little girl that affected every single part of my life. And I had forgiven it. I've gone through all those things long ago. I'm 76. But I didn't know, didn't understand what brought me to the point where I did the things that I did, that I needed forgiveness. And then it took me a very long time to forgive others. But through this process group, me wanting just to help somebody else, it's taught me that we have to go very deep within ourselves and let God lead us through these, these hurts and these pains and these, these things that we go through. And then you'll finally heal and forgive enough that you can help somebody else. And that is why we've all been allowed to go through the things that we go through. He's got a purpose for each and every one of us, and, and we are cherished. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you for sharing. <laughs>
Oh, my name's Jake, by the way. <laughs> I, uh, if I do say so myself, I'm also an amazing person. Not so, <laughs> not so much a woman, but awesome person. I want to share a thought with you real quick to kind of get us set in for the night before we get to singing, before we get to preaching and all that. Um, there's kind of a word, a phrase that kind of sticks out to me as we kind of like get ready for this process, and that word is surrender. You see that happen in this process here. You see... Uh, Lynn surrendering to her call on her life from God. You see Trace and Georgie surrendering to a process. You see a lot of surrendering going on. You see surrendering away um, issues that we have. And you see surrendering to accountability with friends. And then there's some surrendering that needs to happen on a deeper level in each one of us. It reminds me of a, a little piece of scripture Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where it says, For by grace you have been saved, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. You see, life isn't about us doing things. When we leave here tonight, I don't want you to leave here with the laundry list of things that you have to do. You know, you don't have to leave here with, all right, well, I have to start a process group. I have to start mentoring people. I have to do this. I have to do that. Our goal for tonight is for you to surrender, to understand that it's, it's not your works. It's not what you do. It's not what you can do. Rather, it's what has been done for you. It is Christ who lived, died, and rose again for each one of us that we're given this opportunity to surrender. We're given this opportunity to have life, to have hope, and it's it's this that gives us this opportunity to gather here together and worship. And so I'll say that one more time for the Christian in the room. Leave here tonight understanding that you're not walking out of these doors with responsibilities, but rather you're leaving this room with, with hope and love and peace. And to anyone who may be on that fence or maybe on the other side of it, we're not inviting you into work. We're not inviting you to join us in really boring ceremonies and traditions. We're inviting you into love, peace, and hope by grace through faith. Let's pray, and then we're going to have some more worship. Dear Lord, we love you, and we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for every opportunity you give us to just praise you. God, we thank you for these musicians who have taken a night to share their talents with us. We thank you for Brad for, for leading us tonight. We thank you for Lynn, Teresa, and Georgie for sharing. And God, most of all, we thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. All right, well, we're going to sing a couple more songs, but before we go into it, this next song is called My Testimony, and I think it fits perfectly what we've been talking about. So if you would, please go ahead and stand with us, and we're going to get going. I love this first lyric. I saw Satan fall like lightning. Saw darkness run for cover, but the miracle that I just can't get over my name 
is registered in heaven. I believe in signs and wonders. I have a resurrection power. Still the registered in heaven. Yes, it is. Oh, yeah, my praise belongs to you forever. This is my testimony from death to life, because grace rewrote my story. I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. Our God will finish what He started. Oh, this is my testimony from death to life. Cause grace rewrote my story. I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. still to come. Oh, I believe if I'm not dead and you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe if I'm not dead and you're not done. Greater things are still to come. testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony oh I'm alive this is my testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story Justify by Jesus Christ to the righteous. I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony.
there is a reason why every single person in this room is here tonight, God. You knew the time, the hour, and the day that they would be in this sanctuary, God, praising your name, giving you gratitude, God. So, Lord, I lift up every single one of these people in this room, God, to you. Lord, they come with broken baggage, God. I pray that as Brad brings the word, God, I pray that the truth that's going to come through him from you, God, the truth that it will set these people in here free, free from depression, free from anxiety, free, free from sexual brokenness, free from the pit of despair, God. Lord, thank you, God, for what you're doing in this room and what you're doing across the nation, God. You're moving, Father. We feel it. And we're going to bow to your will, God. We're going to humble ourselves, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, you. Wow. Hey, Braden, can I have the guitar? Hey, I want it. I want it for a second. I want yeah, I'll, I'll put it up for you. Lexi's not been on stage here a lot, you guys. That's Lexi Waters. And, and I want to say something. Forget the talent. I want you to understand the heart, okay? Uh, that's, that's her. You got to see her. Uh, Lexi, thank you. That was so sweet, girl. And for the whole team, man. Uh, yeah. Everybody, everybody on this praise team and those in the soundboard booth in the back, these are people who are really special to me. And I could, I could talk 10 minutes on testimony about what each one of them has meant to me in my life, but just tonight, this was really special. Um, a long time ago, I got to lead, be a part of leading a move of God that was overpowering, it was overwhelming. And uh, when that kind of ended, I didn't really know if I would ever get to stand in that spot after a worship moment like that again. And I, and I just did. And wow. I bought this guitar off of the, out of the trunk of a little red car in Southside Walmart parking lot before my son played guitar. It was really cheap for what it was supposed to be. And I kind of didn't think the young lady who had it knew what she had. And then she told me what she had. She said, my brother was the worship leader in our church. And this was his guitar. And he played it in our church every Sunday until he started using drugs. And he fell away. And he went to rehab and it didn't work and he came back and he was in our church again and he played it another time and then he fell away and last month my brother committed suicide. She said, I can't look at the guitar. I can't look at it. I said, I can't buy that guitar. Like I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't buy that guitar from you. I'll give you the money that you were charging for the guitar and then you keep the guitar. Like I don't, like I, you know, and she said, no, I, I, she knew I was a pastor and she said, I want it to go. 
And this was her wish. She said, I want somebody to use that guitar to lead worship again. Uh, and Braden plays his guitar every Sunday, but um, I, I felt like you needed to know the story behind the instrument. Um, I gave her my name and phone number, and I said, I don't care if it's 50 years from now, I will own this guitar. And if you want it back, come get it. You know, like if it's your, it's your brother's, right? And uh, it's an honor to get to worship with you today and to hear notes coming from an instrument with such a story. Um, you guys, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in a good mood right now. <laughs> and and uh, I'm not going to take a long time. I preach about 40, 45 minutes on Sundays, sometimes longer. I'm not going to do that tonight. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to shoot for about half of that. So, uh, But I'm, I am going to preach my favorite sermon I've ever gotten to preach. I'm going to tell you about something that a couple of you have heard this before, uh, but, but I hope that you hear it today in, in an even more fresh way. Because this is the sermon that changed my life. This is the message that God spoke to me that changed the way I thought about church, changed the way I thought about the world in which I live. Uh, I, I was raised in church. I was from a Christian family. Like there was no, uh, like my mom and dad, you know, we went to Sunday school and then church and then we came back on Sunday night and then we came back on Wednesday night. And if there was, you know, like youth events on Tuesday night, I had to go to that too, right? My uncle was the pastor, so he knew if we were there or not, you know, and and it was just like, I was always in church and I treated it kind of halfway, like, it, like, you know, important, you know, but not like, not like really life important until uh, God started calling me into ministry. And I hated the idea. I had, I had met a lot of pastors. I didn't like any of them. And I'm not really teasing. Like, I'm not, you know, like I just, and I thought that past, no, I don't want to be a pastor. I would be a horrible pastor. Other people agreed. Um, and so I said, no, I was a freshman in high school. I said, no, uh, I wanted to make money. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to get my name and, you know, like I wanted everything pastors aren't supposed to want, you know, I wanted that. And uh, uh, it took God a while to, to get my attention. But then when I became a pastor, um, God sent me to the meanest church on the planet. These people were mean. I mean, they were mean. I was in, I was in, uh, Actually, Tennessee, but I like to call it Northwest Mississippi because culturally it felt like I was further down, you know, and, uh, and I ended up, that was not the first church I served, but it ended up being kind of early. Uh, in the first leadership meeting I ever went to, ever, a lady, a lady grabbed my tie and pulled me down and told me that, she, that I would get fired if I brought, and she used a word that starts with N that we don't say, into her church. She like was holding my necktie. Her quote was, we've hired and fired more than, you, more than one of you young punks over stuff like that. I called my pastor at home and said, how do you resign from a church? Like, I, I've been here three weeks and I'm ready to quit loudly. Like, that's, that's what I'm ready to do. And he, Anyway, I, I didn't and I, I, preached about, uh, I preached about God's love for all people. And the only positive thing I can say about my time at that church is that on my last Sunday, that same woman made a racist joke and her daughter corrected her. And I'm like, that might be a general, generational curse that just got smacked in the face, you know? It's the end of the book of Matthew. It's been a really hard time for the disciples I don't know about you, but they, they like, like, like me, they had expectations of what God's blessing was going to mean for them. You ever do that? Like, God's going to bless me. And then you're like, dang, that does not feel like blessing. 
That is not what I meant when I designed my prayer about what I thought blessing was going to be. That is not, they, they have not lived what they thought was blessing. They've seen God bless all kinds of other people, but their life has been hard. They haven't had a house to live in. They've been walking all the time. Uh, and now, I think it's interesting that it starts out even in verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples. Okay, what does that tell you right there? Somebody, you can speak up. What is 11 of them? What does that mean? They're down one. They're down one, okay? What you need to understand is that only a few days before, uh, depending upon whether you think this happens at the end or the beginning of, of his 40 days on earth, I think it's the end. So 40 some odd days before, one of the 12 guys they had spent every minute with for the last three years killed himself because he denied Jesus. That's not what they thought they were signing up for. That's not, that's not what they thought they were getting into at all. They're down one. And listen, we can read stories about Judas and be like, man, I would have hated that guy. But they lived with this guy and loved this guy and befriended this guy and worshiped with this guy. Uh, and, and, and then he betrayed Christ and took his own life. And now they're down to 11. They're down. Most of the disciples, we believe, thought that the way Jesus would bless the world is he was going to overthrow Rome and lift up, uh, lift up uh, you know, the, the Jewish people. And they were going to be a kingdom. And they were going to get to sit on his right and his left and be like bosses in the army of the world. And then they watched as Jesus gave himself up to the cross. And they watched the men they hated beat the Savior they were following until he died. They weren't feeling good, right? Like this was not, this was not I, I, I feel great about my life right now. Praise Jesus, ha, 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 sing good songs. No, they were beaten down. The one good thing that's happened in the last few bits is that Jesus rose from the grave and they know it's him and they've touched him. And so something's happened to kind of revive that spirit of hope and joy that they had. And they're clinging to that. But now he's about to leave. So after all this, it's like he's back to life, but now he's going to be gone. You have to capture the emotional trauma these men were in. They've lost a friend. They've lost a dream. They lost their leader. And then he came back, and now he's leaving. And this is what he says to him in that moment. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But not all of them. Like, you got to get this. Like, like, we like to think sometimes that everything was just perfectly laid out. And like, no, some of them doubted. What, you got to get between the lines here. That means somebody was going, he told us he was going to do this before and they killed him last time. He told us we were going to reign with him in heaven and Judas is dead. He told us, like you said, like he told us that he was God and they killed him. They worshiped him and some of them doubted. Oh no. That also does make me feel better because it means that you can be in a church and some people can doubt and that's okay. Like you don't have to get rid of all the doubters. You don't have to do that. That's good. It, it's, it's okay in this culture and environment for there to be some who doubt. I don't know about you. I have been that someone. There've been times when I was the guy in a room where I'm the one doubting. It feels good to know that, okay, Jesus's courts have always had those people. I'm just one of them today. Okay. That's not bad. Some of them doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, this is speaking to the doubter, 
And to all the worshipers, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Like, that is a pivotal moment in all of Scripture, okay? Previous to this, what we hear Jesus saying mostly is, my Father has all of the power of heaven and earth. Previous to this, for the most part, what you hear him saying is, God the Father has all the power. Now he's died, now he's resurrected, now he's walked with them, I believe, for 40 days, and now, he, and now he's saying to them, you don't understand. All of the power on heaven and earth is in my hands now. It's been given to me. I want to make sure that we don't take what God calls first class and think of it as second rate. Because sometimes the blessing that he's aiming in your life doesn't look like the blessing you thought he was going to give you. Right? I, I, I don't think we all get that. Like, so, like sometimes the life we're living that when we look in the mirror, we go, this is not exactly what I had in mind. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's not God's first class step for you. So what I'm asking you to do as we kind of get started, this isn't even like a major thing. This is just something to get us started, is that you and I agree we are not going to take something that God called first class and we think it's second rate. We're not going to do that. We're going to take what the Lord gives us and we're going to recognize that for today, in this moment, right now, this is God's first class for me. Okay? And I'm going to wait and I'm going to watch and I'm going to see. The scripture even says we can ask. Like It's okay for us to go, Lord, this is first, this is first class for me right now, but Lord, there's some other stuff that I would love to ask you for as well. I don't mean selfishly so much as saying, Lord, I want greater opportunities. I want more moments. I'm, I'm asking for more people to be enhanced by the life that you're giving us, that kind of thing. Don't take what God says as first class and think of it as second rate. Don't do that. You will spend your life wondering why. I'll just be personal for a second. I've had a lot of pastor buddies my age. And, you know, in my 20s and my 30s, you'd look at those guys and you'd go like, okay, that one's really smart. That one there, man, he prays like crazy. He loves Jesus. He trusts Jesus. This guy over here, he's a little shady. Like, a little sus, as they say. Like, this one over here, he can't preach his way out of a paper bag. Like, you don't say that out loud, but you've thought it. Like, like that dude, the talent is just... I don't know. Here's what's crazy. I'm going to let you in on it. And it would be true of anybody's job, anybody's Like 49 years in, and sometimes the guy I thought was a little shady is the most successful. And sometimes the guy I thought couldn't preach his way out of the paper bag has the largest church. And sometimes the guy who prayed the hardest is now struggling the most. But what they can't do is look at God and go, why did you give me second class? Because what God has done for them is first class for their life. And we're going to learn more about what that means and why that's true. Uh, in the book of Romans, uh, this, this is one of my favorite scripture verses. And it helps us understand the Great Commission that I'm reading from Matthew. Uh, this is what Paul says. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to get this for me. Okay, We're Americans. We're used to having peace with everybody because the world's kind of scared of us, right? So just having peace with somebody, especially up until a few years ago. But anyway, uh, the, the, uh, that was a little political joke I just threw out there just for fun. Uh, but um, the idea of living at peace with something is something we assume. And then we go, well, that blessing means I want the stuff above the peace. 
Blessing means like, I want all, I want the bells and the whistles and the peace. But he starts out here by saying, wait a second, you don't understand. The greatest blessing is the peace. Like you have peace with God. Because as, as great as our worship songs are about how much the Lord loves us, we have to understand that the wrath of God is real and sin in us is alive. And so because of Jesus, we make peace with God. And when I say we make peace with God, he makes peace with us when we're the guilty party. Okay? That's worth celebrating. And if nothing else that seems all blessed in your life ever happens, that puts you in a place where you're living God's first class. Right? Verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I told you earlier, we are people of grace. It's always going to be at the bedrock of who we are. And it leads to this place where we can rejoice in hope and, and know the glory of God. Like that's how important grace and faith are working together in our life. And then Paul says the weirdest thing. He says, and that's why we get to rejoice in our sufferings. I know there were people like going, what? He wrote this at a time when it was illegal to be a Christian and they were killing them in the public square for fun. And they were excited about peace with God, even though they didn't have peace with men at all. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Let me tell you something. Have you ever realized, have you ever thought about this? That some of the greatest struggles you go through, if you're here tonight because you're thinking, you know what, I, I deal with a lot of grief. Or I deal with a lot of anxiety. Or I deal with a lot of depression. Or I deal with an addiction. And in many cases, the addiction is self-medication for one of those other things I just said. Okay. You ever think to yourself, how cool is it that the Lord has let me suffer? No, you don't think that. That would be unnatural. You should. How cool is it that the Lord has let me go through something hard because he's making me strong? He's giving me endurance. Let me tell you something. People with fluffy lives don't get endurance. They don't. Okay? They don't. Uh, he's not only giving me, he's giving me character. Character. Character doesn't come from ease. Character comes from struggle. And knowing Christ in the midst of that. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's not, he's not talking about the Romans. He's talking about himself. Okay? When we realize that whatever you brought to this meeting or this church gathering or this worship service, and you thought, wouldn't it be awesome if God would get rid of that in me tonight? What I, what I want you to understand is that God has been using that, whatever that is, to bring you endurance, build a new character, and ultimately give you hope. Now, I'm not telling you that God won't heal it. In fact, I believe very real he will. But he will in the timing that works well with building you into the woman or man of character and hope that he set out to do in the beginning. 
Don't just look for the escape from the suffering. Look for the character and the hope in Christ. And then take the first road exit away from the suffering (laughs) that you can as he brings you out of those things. Because there is always purpose in your pain. And if you're in a lot of pain right now, you probably want to like throw a curse word at me when I say that. There's purpose in your pain. You probably want to go hush or other words. I get it. I get it. I get it. That's, it's not the smartest thing. You don't like sit down with somebody in the midst of their worst moment and go, there's purpose in your pain. It's a good way to get smacked, right? But at the same time, when we sit back and we think about how God is building this endurance and this character and this hope in us, we have to see that. We have to see that's how it's done. He brings purpose into our pain and he builds us strongly. Now, I've said all that to say, these are the 11 disciples that used to be 12, right? They've lost a brother. These are the men who were going to conquer Rome who are now not conquering Rome. These are the men who had a savior, but then he died. And now he's come back to life, but now he's leaving. And in the midst of all of their disappointment, the reality is that God is building up these 11. He's giving them endurance. They're going to need it. He's giving them character. It's the only reason the church expanded to the whole world. He's giving them hope. It's why nearly all of them preached Christ until they died because of it. All of that got built in the midst of their disappointments and struggles. You get that? That's a part of what we're going to discover together over the next months and years as a part of Woodlawn Church and here at Recovery Live on Wednesday on, on Friday nights, we're going to discover that God has a purpose for our pain. Let me finish up. I haven't got to my favorite part yet. This is it. Go therefore, he says. We call this the great commission. It's like the great command. This is the thing that if you could take and memorize like one scripture, how am I supposed to live my life as a Christ follower? This is it right here, okay? This is it. Go therefore and make disciples. That means tell people about me Help them follow me, get them started, and then walk with them. Make disciples. Go, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, okay? Even if the lady in Tennessee didn't like it, she's wrong. All nations, okay? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, we could have a little fun with this. We got Presbyterians, Baptists, Pentecostals all in the same room. That word's got a lot of meaning to it in this room. We, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that one there, but that's a good one. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always. That's the promise. He's leaving, but he's not leaving. Okay? I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There are three words that probably are the most three words in the English language to me when it comes to really understanding my faith. Those three words are compassion, acceptance, and truth. And for those of you that I pastored 20 years ago, you've gotten sick and tired of hearing me say these three words. Justin's like, yeah, I know it well, man. I'm about to make this easy for you, okay? Go and make disciples. That means we lead with compassion, Leading with compassion, it's, it's, it's got to come first, folks. The compassion comes first. That's where we start. Here's what I mean by that. It's super practical, okay? When my eyes see somebody who's different than me or somebody who seems to have made a bit of a mess of their life or somebody who's in a big struggle, I can either lead with compassion or I can lead with truth. What is the truth? 
They've probably done dumb stuff. What is the truth? They don't smell good or they don't look good. What is the truth? They seem strange. They are different than me. That's if you lead with truth. We're going to get there, I promise. It's good stuff. There are a lot of people that we call judgmental, and all they think they're doing is leading with what they think is true. That's all they're just leading with truth. But that's not what the scripture said to do. We go and make disciples. We take this gospel of compassion to the lost and broken world. And when we see someone who's struggling, we see someone through eyes of compassion. Let me give you an example. Let's say a young lady with four different children. They all have different last names. Comes into a church. She's by herself. She's got multiple diaper bags. She did not comb her hair. There is no makeup on her face. She is exhausted. The truth might be, she's probably made some questionable decisions. That's probably the truth, okay? But the eye of compassion sees her and says, I want to help her. I want to care for her. I, I, I want to show her love. She looks exhausted. I guess that's a truth statement too, but it's a caring one. Like, like I'm going to go sit with her. I'm going to hang out with her. I want to spend time with her. I want to show her she's valuable. I want to remind her that she's something more than she might think she is right now. I'm going to lead with compassion. We see Jesus doing it over and over and over. Why do you think the particular stories of Jesus interacting with people in the New Testament got included in the New Testament? Because the way he talked to people was crazy different than they were used to. He talks to the woman at the well Everybody else avoids her. He sits down, hangs out with her, and asks her to get him a drink. And then when she says, I don't, you know, he tells her that he's the living water, that he would love to change her life. When the woman's caught in adultery, and all the men are standing around her with rocks in their hands, he, she's probably laying on the ground. He gets down on his knees with her. People are like, it says in the scripture that he wrote something in the sand. People are all like, I wonder what he wrote in the sand. I think it probably was the name of the dude that was with her and he was standing with the other dudes is probably what it was, but I really don't know. The issue is not that he wrote something in the sand. The issue is that he got down on his knees where she was. With all the other men standing boldly and strongly in judgment, Jesus is on his knees getting dirty with the girl they're all judging. You see what I'm saying? This is the reality. He leads with compassion over and over and over. He tells us, go make disciples. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That can be translated in the name or into the name. Either one works with the Greek. Both of them ultimately means we are bringing them into the family. Now, we like to get into a lot of theological talks about baptism and all that. That's not for tonight. Okay, that's a different night. But here's what I need you to understand is that he's saying to them, go Meet people, be compassionate to those people, share the gospel with those people, and then bring them into the family. Bring them in. Baptizing them was an initiation into the family. You are one of us. That's acceptance. Now listen, people my age and older, we've struggled with getting this figured out in our faith. I've seen it my whole life. I've dealt it with it in my own heart. Is What is the difference between accepting someone who's sinful and condoning someone's sin? Like that, that we struggle with that. The generation younger than me, you guys don't really like, like that's not a big fight in your mind. You seem to see the difference clearly. Here's what I want you to understand. The problem with that argument is that we pick out the wrong sin or we pick out certain sins to be offended by. 
A long time ago when we were planting a church in Paducah that ended up being that move of God that I told you about, we had a year and a half time period where we met in a bingo hall. You got to get this. Like, like we had to Febreze the whole place when we got in there. And then if our service went long, which I tend to preach a little long, it would go long. There would be a, a bunch of middle-aged and older ladies who'd come in and sit at the back table and smoke cigarettes like chain smokers while I was finishing up the altar call. We were the only church in Paducah with a smoking section. Okay. I was talking to one of my mentors at the time and I was young and dumb. And I asked a question about what, what it's like when sinful people come in the worship service. That's the way I worded it. And he said, Brad, and this guy's like a military kind of, you know, he was scary. He was big and muscular and scary. And he put his finger in his face and he goes, you know, the problem with you, <laughs> I bet you're going to tell me. He said, you think those ladies sitting at the back chain smoking those cigarettes sin more than the people who serve in your church every week? You think, you think the folks who haven't professed Christ are more sinful than the ones who are a part of the church all the time? He said, you really need to get that straight, Brad. Like, yeah, he's right. Acceptance means that I offer compassion to you and then I welcome you. Like, I want you here. This, for me, answered all the questions about, would you let someone with underline whatever here be a part of your church? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's like, like, what am I not going to accept? Jesus accepted me. Now, again, you got to pay attention to the word. Compassion, acceptance, truth. The scripture says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Actually, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So teaching them to obey it, not just hear it. Here's what this means, okay? I'm going to draw a line, okay? There are a lot of churches in the world that are great at compassion and acceptance and totally stink at truth. Like, like man, they welcome everybody, they got, they got every color on the rainbow. They got all the difference. Like everybody's there. But the challenge is when it comes time to talk about the, the hard parts of truth and scripture, they're like, man, it's really nice over here in compassion and acceptance where everybody gets along. And so they don't tell the truth about anything. At least not the hard things. The things that, that you have to be cautious about or you offend without need, right? There are still other churches that stink at the compassion and acceptance stuff, but man, they're good at the truth stuff. These churches have seven people in them. It's because they get their truth so focused that only a couple people in the whole region agree with it. I kid you not. There was a church in a town that I pastored away from here 25 years ago, and their sign had the name of the church, and I think it had 11 words in it, in the name. We are like the Reformed Baptist, King James only, women wear skirts and not jeans. Uh, like, you know, holiness, Presbyterian, Baptist, Catholic church. Like, like just all these different words. And the reason they had all those words was they wanted to make sure that you knew everything they believed before you came in the building because they really didn't want you if, unless you agreed with all that stuff. And here's the problem. I told you that the Bible lays out compassion, acceptance, and truth in that order very importantly. Because here's what it does. 
You open with compassion. You say, I love everybody. I want to tell everybody about Jesus. I want people to understand and know Jesus. And if you're interested in hearing more about Jesus, I want to welcome you into the family. And then I'm going to welcome you in the family. I'm going to show you that I love you, care about you. It's genuine. It's real. It's not something I'm putting on so that I can, you know, so that I can stick a hook in your lip and reel you in and catch you. It's that I, I really care about you. But then at the same time, if I really care about you, then after I've taken the time to get to know you, you've gotten to know me, we have a little bit of relationship going on here. Now it's my job as the person who loves you and cares about you to speak truth to you. And if that truth is about your behavior, I'm gonna, we're going to speak truth to you. If that truth is about uh, your sexual identity, then we're going to love you and we're going to speak truth to you. Okay? If that truth is about your anger, then we're going to love you, speak truth to you, and then duck. <laughs> and we're going to love you anyway. Okay? You see what I'm saying? Here's what happens when you flip it upside down. When you, when you flip these three words up to down and you go, I'm going to be about truth, acceptance, and compassion. Here's what ends up happening. You're going to say, what I believe is right matters most. And here are all my truths. And if you agree with all of that, then come on in. And if you're one of us, then I will be compassionate towards you. You see how it turns a funnel into a filter? Like what's supposed to be a funnel, bringing in anyone and everyone who would respond to the grace of Jesus becomes a filter, saying we only want the ones that agree with everything pastor believes. Make sense? Now, that's why my joke was there are seven people in that church, because I'm not knocking house church, brother. I'm, I'm knocking, yeah. <laughs> Small churches can be awesome when, when they grow and expand. Just got to make myself clear. I got to make it clear. So here's what I'm getting at. Folks, listen to me. The way you are and the way that you express this in your own life, it's going to look different from one person to the next. I'm not, I'm not trying to give you a, a, some sort of guided, def, definite way to live. But I am telling you that as a church, we're going to be the most compassionate group of people you have ever met. And Friday night, I expect more of you than even, I expect the most of you. I'm going to say it that way. Because, because we're telling people with a great big advertisement, if you need compassion, show up here. If you need compassion, show up right here. Which means we are going to be super, super compassionate. We're going to see people with eyes of love from the beginning. And then we're going to open the door, man. We're going to invite people to sit with us, to hang with us. When people respond to faith in Christ, we're going to baptize people. We're going to celebrate their new faith. We're going to celebrate their new faith even when they still get a bunch of it wrong. And then we're going to take the opportunity to speak truth, to teach them to obey everything that the Lord has commanded us. And over time, that is how we, Woodlawn Church and Recovery Alive, that is how we make a spiritual dent in the Southside Paducah, Farley, Paducah, McCracken County, Western Kentucky, and this region. That's how we do it. I've seen it. Others have seen it. Many of you have experienced it. This is how we do it. And I believe that God is in the midst of something special right now. I mean, this is timing is important, right? Um, 
two words have been kind of big words for us lately at Woodlawn. The first one is momentum. Uh, momentum is not something we create, by the way. So momentum is something that God creates. But momentum is definitely something we can tend to stop. The Bible calls it quenching the Spirit. When the Spirit of God starts to do beautiful and wonderful things, and for whatever reason, somebody says, I'm putting my foot down. I don't like it when God does stuff I can't control. Okay? God's doing something. I know the word revival gets thrown around a whole lot. Uh, not all revivals are really revivals. But when you see God working in the hearts of people, and in American history, it seems to start with college kids. I don't know why, but it, it, it does. Just look over the last 200 years. You'll see over and over and over, God do awesome stuff with people in their 20s. And then all of a sudden, guys like me in my 40s start paying attention. You know, it's a beautiful thing. We were led in worship tonight by a whole bunch of people younger than me and Todd. I had to do that, brother. I had no choice. I had to do that because he's just a little younger than me, so I, I couldn't pick on him about it. So stop right there. <laughs> Compassion and acceptance and truth. This is, this is who Christians should be. And I'm telling you, it's going to be amazing. When you get to see the eyes of a person who walks into a church with trepidation, fear, worry, and all of a sudden they recognize that people actually care about them, want to know their name, aren't picking on them, are not looking down their nose at them, like actually care about them. And then all of a sudden they feel a part of it, like these people remember me, they care about me, they know me. And this is connected to faith. And here's what happens, is that now people are spiritually in a place to hear truth. They're in a place to hear truth. I don't know if you're like me, you probably are, but I'm not always in a place to hear truth. You know, if you catch me halfway through a bucket of chicken and tell me it's time to lose weight, that's not the moment. That's not the right moment for that true conversation, right? So, so here's what I'm getting at. Um, I love you guys. I love the opportunity to worship with you. I love what tonight has been. And um, I want to give you an opportunity to respond, okay? We have people from all different churches here. Um, we, we do altar call uh, a, a couple of ways. Um, on Sunday mornings, you'll see us open those doors in the back, and people will go to the back to pray with me or other prayer leaders. Uh, tonight, we're going to make it simpler than that. We're just going to invite you. If, you. if you have something you need to talk to a pastor about, come hang out with me. I, I, if, if there's more than one or two, we'll find some others that will pray with you. If you just need to kneel and pray and talk to God, and you don't really have to have anybody else with you, then I encourage you just somewhere around here, or even if you want to just literally kneel right where you're at in your chair, feel free to do that. Uh, Braden, and you, would you guys come back up? Lexi's got a little one. She's like, sorry about the timing of that. Um, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna sing gratitude again. That song that we sang at the end of the earlier service, they're going to sing that again kind of with us and over us. So you could worship and sing. Uh, but I just want to make sure we take the moment to respond to God. Right now on somewhere in the neighborhood of like 30 college campuses, there are people, that they're just praying I had a pastor, but he's like, yeah, but their theology might not be great. Of course not. They're 23. Their theology may not be great. I get that, okay? Uh, like, like your theology is all that amazing, you know? Uh, but they're praying. They're reaching out to God. You know, they're interested in spiritual things. And that should not be pushed down. That should be recognized with compassion, acceptance, 
and spoken into with helpful truth. Would you stand with us and let's worship the Lord. I encourage you to come. You are welcome. You are wanted. Let's worship him.
Jesus. Before we uh, finalize here, let me, let me tell you what else is happening this evening. Um, so with Recovery Live, the ministry we're partnering with to do these Friday nights, um, they, they have three big words. They, they say power, uh, people, and process. Uh, you'll hear those three words a lot. Power is what we just experienced. Power is the worship gathering, okay? The power of the Holy Spirit in worship and the teaching of God's word, that, those kinds of things. Um, that's power. People happens in about five minutes. And that is for those who would like to stay uh, in the gymnasium. So as you head out, you know, on the right, before you go out the doors you came in, uh, there are two classrooms, one for ladies and one for guys. And in that room, you're just going to take a moment. It's not a, like a long time. I mean, you take a moment and you're going you're to get to meet some people. You're going to introduce yourself, say your name, they say theirs. And you're going to discuss just, just slightly what Jake said earlier about surrendering. What, what it means to surrender. And who knows, there may be a testimony in you that needs to come out in that conversation, and, and you feel free to do that. This is where people who might walk in this room and not know anybody are going to experience the most personal compassion because you're going to have people look you dead in the eye and, and learn who you are, okay, and care about you. So I want to encourage you to stick around. I want you to do that. Um, and then the third one is process. The, the process group is what you heard in the testimony tonight. That's when a, a small number of men or a small number of women pair up together for an extended period of time and they work through each other's stuff. Okay? It, it's, it's, it's big. I think your word, Tracer, was it's deep. Yeah. And, and you, you, you get a chance to get with people you really, really trust. Those groups, so that you know, they're open for new people for a couple of weeks, but then at like three or four weeks in, we shut them down and only the people in the group can be in the group. And that is because you've now developed friendship and trust and we want you to be able to talk about anything. And, you know, having new people bop in and out every week kind of makes that hard. So that's why, we, that's why we lock it down after three or four weeks. We already have a men's process group, and as you saw in the video, a women's process group going on. The reason why they're doing that, you heard them say they wanted to help, right, is that most of the people in those two groups are prepping themselves to lead other groups so that by the time we get to next month and by the time we get to the next month, we're going to be able to say to you, anybody in the room wanting a process group, we got room for you. We got one about to start, uh, guys, girls, whoever. In fact, because of the resourcefulness of, of Recovery Alive, if you came to me tonight and you said, I need to be in a process group right now, then what we could do is connect you to an online process group that regularly welcomes people in that would get you an immediate start until we open one here in, in person that would be right for you. Does that make sense? So that you're not walking out of here alone. Um, 
So I appreciate you guys being here tonight. I hope it was a great experience. We end most of our worship services here at Woodlawn with what we call a generosity talk. Um, I'm not going to really talk too much about money tonight. That's, that's not really the issue. Uh, but, the, but contribution is. Uh, as you could tell, there have been lots of people do things to contribute. The, the bigger issue in the room is I know there are some of you that want to. You're like, hey, tonight was awesome. I want in. How do I help? Show me what to do. There are a couple of ways you could do that. Uh, we got, we got some cards right here that uh, you don't have to do this, but if you want to say, hey, look me up, man. Talk to me. Somebody call me. I want to talk to you. Uh, these cards, all you do is just fill out a little information and literally just lay it on the black box over there. And I'll have somebody stand by the little black box so that nobody steals your card and starts spamming you. Okay? Like we'll watch it with a, like a hawk. Okay. We don't sell your email addresses. Like none of that's going to happen. This is just to help you. Okay. I know that not everybody in this room wants to give me your email address. That's okay. Uh, if there's anything you'd be willing to fill out, you want to put your first name and nothing else that at least lets us know you were here. Right. And, and, and we, and we, we think that's cool. We love that you're here. When you go to the community, the, uh, per- the people group right after this, they're going to have these same cards. And if you go into that group and you say, hey, I'm here for the ministry. I really want to connect more. Then Lynn and Jason, who will be leading those groups, they're going to keep a separate card than what I get. And that's because they're going to keep a separate set of records of people who are involved in this particular recovery ministry that the church as a whole doesn't even need to know about because there's a, an ounce of uh, you know, uh, privacy to that that we want to make sure you have. Make sense? All right. If you do want to sow, sow into the ministry and give in some way, you can text the word give to this, this number, 270-479-0629. We'll send you a link. You'll get a link automatically of how you can contribute. Uh, but that number can be used for anything else. You can text it. It literally comes right to my phone. And I only know what about you that you tell me. Like, if you don't want to give me your real name, you don't have to give me your real name. Like, I, like I, I, you can protect yourself however you want. Uh, if you need to talk to somebody, you want to text somebody and say, hey, I'm interested in learning more, uh, then that's great. Do that. And what it will also do is it will put you in a text group where you get announcements about this ministry and others. In fact, the cool word to throw out is text the word recovery to that number, and it'll put you automatically in a group that gets things all about this ministry. Okay. I love you guys. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I hope it was a wonderful experience for you. Again, yeah, cool. We don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't really clap for people a whole lot. That's not normally kind of a thing. But at the same time, these folks here have met and got together and practiced. And some of them didn't really even know each other before a few weeks ago. And you guys really blessed us tonight. You really, really blessed us. I want to appreciate you. Yeah, I was aiming in that direction. It's in both directions here. Uh, I really want to thank you for that. It was a great experience. Uh, I tell you what, Todd, would you pray for us, brother? And, and we'll, we'll close out and then go to people group in the gymnasium right after this.